Welcome to Harvest. My name is Pastor Mike. I'm really glad that you're here worshiping with us today. And we want to jump right into God's Word together. So go ahead and grab your Bibles. We started last week a brand new series in the book of Acts. And uh, so that's going to be New Testament, right past the Gospels. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a hardback black one somewhere there on the floor around you. You can feel free to grab one of those. Follow along with us there as well. We'd love for you to do that. Um, so I want to ask you a question as we kind of get started today. Um, how do you do with waiting? Exactly. That's what I thought. Okay. Like, just think, like, when you're in the line at Walmart, you know, like when you're dropping the kids off at school, or maybe when you're picking the kids up from practice, or maybe stoplights, you know, you have to wait to stop, or waiting rooms, or um, the, the line at the DMV. Like, some of you are, like, sweating right now. I'm just, I'm just saying these things, and you're, like, stressing out. Your blood pressure's going up, right? We don't always do great at waiting. How many of you, like, you go to the restaurant, and if it's like more than 30 minute wait, you're driving to three other restaurants until you find one that's, that's you don't have to wait. Anybody else do that? Okay, is that just, okay. I, I don't do real good with waiting because oftentimes waiting feels like wasting time to me. Like, I, I, like there's so many other things I could be doing that's more productive or more helpful or just more fun. Like, like there's, I, I don't want to just be waiting all the time. And so a lot of times we view waiting as wasting, but God doesn't always view it that way. In fact, sometimes God purposely puts us into periods of waiting in order to achieve something in our lives and in our walk with him. We actually saw this at the end of last week. If you remember at the, the kind of the middle of chapter one, he told the disciples, go back to Jerusalem and wait, right? And he purposely put them into this period of waiting. And just think about this. This is Jesus, God of the universe. He didn't have to do that, right? Like he could have sent it into heaven and immediately said, all right, Holy Spirit, go, boom, it's done. There could have been no waiting at all. He had the power to do that. But instead, he sends them back to Jerusalem to wait for what we're going to find out in a second is 10 days from the time that he ascended to the Holy Spirit showing up, all right? So why did God do that? Why did he make them go through this period of waiting? God wasn't just wasting their time, all right? He wasn't just just wasting time. He was using the waiting to prepare them for the next season of ministry. And that's what we're going to see here today in the second half of chapter one, right? That in the waiting, a posture of prayer prepares me for God's next move. When we're in these seasons of waiting that God puts us in sometimes, what he wants us to do is go to our knees in a posture of prayer and allow him to prepare us for what's coming next. We're going to see that in three different ways here today in this text. So, chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 12. Here we go. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves, here it is, to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So here's point number one this morning. A posture of interdependent prayer brings unity. A posture of interdependent prayer brings unity. That's one of the ways that God wants us to pray when we're waiting. So Jesus just ascended into heaven. He told the disciples, wait for the Holy Spirit. He says, go back to Jerusalem and wait. So the first thing we see in chapter 12 is they returned to Jerusalem. They were obedient in the waiting. Right? They did what the Lord told them to do. So they go back, and you've got all these people. They go back to the room where they're staying at, 
And he starts naming off Peter and John and James and all these guys. So it's all the, the 12 disciples that were with um, Jesus as he was walking the earth, minus one. At the end there, it says, and Judas, the son of James. That's not that Judas. That's the other Judas. There were two, okay? Like, you hate to be the other Judas in the disciples, right? Like, oh, Judas, yeah, we heard about you. No, 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 I'm not that one, right? So not that. We're going to hear about the other Judas, the the, the, the betrayer Judas, Judas here in a little bit. But this is the 11 guys that were faithful to Jesus. They're back in Jerusalem, and they're waiting. And with them are other women that have been following Christ, Mary, his mother, and his brothers. We're going to find out in a couple more verses that there was actually a uh, total of 120 people gathered together waiting for 10 days here. Right? We get a small list here, but it was a lot more than just this handful. There were 120 people, which when I was thinking about that this week, it struck me, that's about the size of our church right now. Like on any given Sunday, we have about 120 people here. So just kind of look around the room, right? Like this is how many people were gathered together praying, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, right? That's a pretty cool thing. And so they're, they're there and they start, to, they start to gather together because they're in a pretty challenging time. Like try to put yourself in their shoes for just a second. The guy that you've been following for three years who you now know is God, is the Messiah, returned from death, just ascended into heaven and left you with nothing, right? Like, he's like, Holy Spirit's coming, not here yet, you gotta wait, right? Like, and so now they're just, what do we do? Like, the, I, I would be freaking out. Would you be freaking out? Like, this is the guy that we've given our lives to and now he's gone and we're just kind of waiting. And, and so they, they needed one another. They came together because they were all in the same boat. And naturally, they, they start looking to the leadership for direction and for answers, right? And the leaders at this point are going to be the 12 disciples or the 11 disciples, right? The guys who were left, the guys who were closest to Jesus. So they start looking to them like directions and answers and strength. And what are we going to do, guys? And the first thing they do is they devote themselves to prayer. That's their first move, Right? No, they didn't get up and give a speech. They didn't, like, come up with a master plan or a vision or, like, they didn't start raising money. They just, they just started praying together. I think they recognized that without Jesus, no matter who was leading, even if it was the 11, that they were weak and lost and completely dependent on God. And I got news for you, Christians. That's exactly the same thing today that no matter who you are, no matter how long you've been walking with Christ, no matter how deep you are into this thing called Christianity, without Jesus, you are weak and lost and dependent on him. And that goes for us too. All of your leaders here at Harvest, man, we are all in this same boat. I remember when we were in core group and we were building the core group to try to plant this church and we were in a season of waiting, right? Like it took two years for the same come. And we would gather together on Wednesday nights and we would pray in my basement and just cry out to the Lord. And a verse that we prayed often was 2 Chronicles 20, 12. I love this. It says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What a great cry to the Lord. When you're in that season of waiting and you don't know what's coming next, like just admit that. Just come to the Lord like, we have no idea what we're doing, but we're with you, Jesus. Whatever you, wherever you go, we're, we're doing that, man. And, and that's us, right? Your elders, your pastor, your staff, your leaders here, we recognize that we are dependent on the Lord. And without prayer, we got nothing. And the disciples said, that's what we want to go for here. And notice here it says they devoted themselves to prayer together. They were all weak, 
but they were weak together. Right? There's something to that. Look at the language there. It says the emphasis on the group of all these gathered together to pray. There's, there's this emphasis there. And it says they prayed in one accord, which literally means they prayed like in one mind. They were all praying for the same thing in the same direction with the same focus, like they were in unity in their prayers. I think they found unity in their prayers because they were all dependent on the arrival of the same Holy Spirit, right? Like, I don't have anything better to offer than you do at this point, so let's just all just get together and let's just pray over this thing, and we'll be one in the midst of it. Church, this is where we must find our unity, is in the common ground that we all need Jesus. We don't find unity in our likes or our dislikes, in our stage of life or our marital status or our personality types or our Enneagram numbers or any of that kind of mess. Like, we find unity in the fact that we all are dependent on the Holy Spirit. And if we as Christians, if we as the church, if we can get our eyes off of ourselves for a little bit and get our eyes all focused on the same Savior, then we'll all be walking in the same direction and we will be unified in him and his mission. That's what he's doing here with them. He's drawing them in together to go out and change the world. It says they devoted themselves to prayer. Devoted there means persistent, ongoing. We're not gonna stop, keep praying and praying. I told you it was 10 days that they were doing this. They were praying for 10 days. How do we know it was 10 days, Mike? It doesn't say that in the text. Well, if you go to the church calendar and you look at all the stuff, Jesus resurrected, his resurrection uh, was 50 days before Pentecost, which is where the Holy Spirit's gonna come, okay, in, in the next chapter. He stayed on the earth, we found out last week, for how many days? 40, that's good math, okay? So 50 minus 40 leaves us with 10. Even I can do that, okay? So, so they're praying here for 10 days, devoted to prayer, persistent, ongoing, digging in. 120 people just kept praying and praying and praying until the Holy Spirit came, and then they went out and changed the world. What could God do with us if we devoted ourselves to prayer? 120 people right here. If we devoted ourselves to prayer and being filled with the Holy Spirit, how could we go out and change the world for God's mission? you're going to see as we travel through Acts that prayer is a major component. It shows up 31 different times in the book of Acts. But what I noticed about this in Acts is that the prayers in Acts are different sometimes, I think, than our prayers. Almost all the prayers in Acts are not focused on the person or their family or their health or their finances. The prayers are focused on the Lord and on his mission. They're not just praying I'm not just praying about stuff for me. I'm praying about, Lord, how can I be in what you're doing? I think one of the things that we struggle with, one of the reasons we struggle with prayer is kind of twofold. I think there's two fallacies, if you will, two prayer fallacies in the church today. The first one is this, that prayer commands the hand of God. In other words, if I just have enough faith, if I just say it enough times, if I just do the right things, then God has to do whatever I say. If I pray it just right, then God has to comply with what I'm praying and has to answer my prayer just like I prayed it. That is not what Scripture teaches, friends. It does 
dictates that he answers our prayers. But it doesn't say that we have control over God just by praying. The other fallacy is kind of on the other end of the spectrum, that prayer is inconsequential to the hand of God. If God's sovereign and he, he's going to do whatever he wants to do and he already has it all planned out anyways, he knows exactly how it's going to go, then why even pray, right? Like if I can't, if my prayers aren't going to change anything, then why would I even pray to this God who already has it all figured out and is going to do it his way? But over and over and over in the scriptures, we see people who prayed and God responded to their prayers. And he moved in accordance with what they prayed for. The truth is somewhere in the middle of those two. That yes, God is sovereign, he's in control and he has a plan, but he calls us, his people, to be a part of that plan and to seek him in prayer so that he can move in accordance with the, with the, with the prayers of his people. And Acts, I think the problem with both of these approaches to prayer is that they're both me-focused approaches to prayer. Right? I'm only going to pray if God will do what I tell him to do. Or why should I pray if he's not going to do what I've asked him to do? Like, what's the point? It's really about me getting my stuff done. But all the prayers in Acts, the followers of Jesus are more focused on him and his mission than them and their lives. So when they prayed, they prayed to align themselves with what Jesus had already promised that he was going to do and what he commanded them to do in return. Harvest, if we are going to be bold witnesses for Jesus Christ, we have to be devoted to prayer. We have to be people of prayer. We can't do this on our own. We've got to be filled with the Spirit got to be dependent on him. Christ gave us a mission that we cannot fulfill on our own. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're only going to tap that by being devoted to prayer. Over the last couple years, um, we've been blessed here at Harvest to be able to install both elders and to hire some staff and to have a staff team now. And it's just really been cool to see how God's continuing to further the gospel through these men. We, I'm just telling you right now, friends, we have some amazing, talented, humble, and faithful men leading our church right now. All right, And we should be thankful that God has blessed us in that way. But as we were doing this, and we were kind of making a transition from a single pastor to a board of elders and to a staff team, and I was having this conversation with a friend of mine who's a, a kind of a veteran pastor, and he gave me this advice. He said, Micah, whatever you have to do, Whatever you have to do, make time to pray together regularly. He said, because when you're praying for one another, it's extremely difficult to be at odds with someone you're praying for. And it's extremely difficult to be unified with someone that you're not. And so many churches suffer with division and decisiveness and just all these power struggles in their leadership and I'm convinced it's because they're not unified in prayer. And so every Thursday morning before we go to work, all the elders gather in one of our basements and we pray for each other and for this church. And the staff too, elders and staff. Every elder meeting, every staff meeting, we have prayer. We're praying for one another. We're praying for you. We are seeking the Lord because we want to be devoted to prayer in our church. But this isn't just for the leaders. It wasn't just the 11 disciples who were praying. Do you see that? All 120 were praying like this. 
So how are you as a member or a tender of Harvest, how are you being devoted to prayer? How can you plug into this? One thing is every month, our prayer team puts out a prayer calendar where they plan out something to pray for every single day for our church. And they pass these out or they make these available to us. And if we will all take those and we will pray over those things each day, we will all be united together in prayer. Are we in the same room? No. But can God hear our voices praying together in unity over those things? Absolutely. So let's be united in prayer. We do prayer in our teams. Every Sunday morning, we have teams that serve you in kids and in hospitality and assimilation, all these things. And every morning before they serve you, they get together in a circle and they pray. Our worship team gets together in a circle and they pray because they need to be devoted to prayer if we're going to do what God's called us to do. In our worship services, we'll have prayer elements from time to time where you can gather together with other people in our church and pray over the things that's going on in your life, or the life of our church, or whatever is coming up. Prayer is a huge part of our small groups every week. Where we're hearing one another, we're talking, and we're praying for one another, we're interceding for one another. Another reason that you need to be actively involved in a small group so that we can be devoted to prayer together. We just started new small groups last week. If you're not in one yet, man, tell us. We would love to help you get connected into a small group. We need to be this people, devoted to prayer for the Lord. Maybe you've heard this before. The church that prays together, help me out, stays together. I wanna, I wanna alter that. The church that prays together stays together on mission. We're not just praying for us. It's not just that we feel good about one another and that we can have somebody to go get coffee with or ice cream with after church. Like we're praying so that we are together on mission for the Lord. So that's the first thing today. Second point, look at verse 15. The story goes on. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. There's the number. And said, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now, this man, uh, okay, so there's a parenthesis there in verse 18. Notice that. So now Peter stops talking, and Luke's going to give us a thought here and a background on this Judas guy that Peter just mentioned. Now, this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle of all his bowels gushed out. You know the Bible's cool. Don't act like the Bible's not cool, man. Like, that's like something straight out of a... Never mind. Okay. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akladama, that is, field of blood. Parentheses. Now Peter talks again. For it is written in the book of Psalms. He quotes scripture here. May his camp be desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. And let another take his office. That's another psalm. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So here's the second point today. First thing was a posture of interdependent prayer brings unity. Number two, a posture of scripture-dependent prayer brings clarity. A posture of scripture-dependent prayer brings clarity. So here, Peter stands up and starts talking. Big surprise. Like, if you know anything about Peter from the Gospels, right, he kind of's got a big mouth. Like, he always wants to say something. He's always talking out of turn. He's always doing his thing. But now, we're going to see through the book of Acts, God's going to take that, and he's going to use it 
to become his, his chosen mouthpiece for this new thing called the church. That's so like encouraging to me <laughs> that God can take even our biggest flaws and use them for his glory in the kingdom, right? So Peter stands up and he starts talking here and he says, listen, brothers, we need to go to the scriptures. The scriptures is his way of talking about the Bible, God's word. Now, they didn't have the full Bible that we have now then yet. They didn't have all the New Testament, but they had the Old Testament. They had their scriptures that they studied from. They said, we need to go to the scriptures. Why? Because the scriptures is where God is most clear on revealing himself to his people. This is his most clear revelation to us. It comes from his word. So this should be our starting point for prayer. If we want to pray to God in a way that actually is honoring him and respecting him and connecting with him, we need to start with the scriptures. This whole idea of being in a season of waiting, I, I know some of you have been, I know you've all been there at some point too. It's hard, right? Let's just be honest today. It's hard, it's trying, it's emotional, it's difficult. And in, when you're in that season of waiting, you desperately want to hear from the Lord. Like you just desperately want him to say something so that you can know that you're not alone in this. Are you with me? Have you been there? The issue is that it's, it's so important that when we're in that waiting and we're looking to hear from the Lord, that we're looking to the right source of revelation. So many times I'll talk to people and they're in waiting and they're, they're struggling to hear from God and they'll look to general revelation rather than specific revelation. General revelation is God's creation, all right? So God speaks to us in the fact that he created everything and we can see his hand in his creation, all right? The, in Romans, it talks about that even creation cries out of who God is. But that's not always the best place to go to hear a specific word from the Lord. Right? It's like the other day I was driving to work, you know, and I was praying, I was talking to God about everything, and I looked up and I saw six geese flying in a V. And that was God telling me, you're going to have victory in your life, man, and you're going to get that job, and, and, this is, and this is my word to you. And I, I'm like, don't geese always fly in a V? Like, that's their thing, right? Like, that's what, that's what makes them geese? Like, that, like that, that's not God speaking to you. That's just geese, right? Like, that's just... Instead, we need to go to God's specific revelation to hear from the Lord. What we need is to get on our knees and get his word open in front of us and let him speak a word to us so that our hearts and our lives can be built on his truth. In the emotion of waiting, seek the God that he says he is, not the God that you want him to be. So many times we're looking for signs because we want to craft God into the image of what we've already decided he should be. But the place that he's told us who he is is right here in his word. This is what we need. Turn to this. Scripture-dependent prayer. So Peter does that right here. And he tells the people, he says, listen, the scriptures had to be fulfilled. What scriptures are we talking about? Well, there were actually some Old Testament verses in Psalms that predicted or prophesied that Judas or someone, they didn't say his name, but somebody in Jesus' inner circle would betray him. All right? So this Judas guy was one of the 12 that Jesus picked to be his disciples, to be closest to him, that he was going to be training and walking with for three years. And so he was walking with Jesus, and then when the time came, he betrayed Jesus and handed him over into the hands of the Jewish leaders so that he could be crucified. And then after he realized what he had done, he felt so guilty about it, he went and he hung himself and died. 
That's what Luke was mentioning earlier in the parentheses. And so we look at this one like, so, so what happened there? Did like, did Judas fool Jesus? Like, did he pull the wool over Jesus' eyes? Like, no, Jesus knew exactly who Judas was. And he chose him anyways. Because he knew that scripture had to be fulfilled. Let me show you. Back in John 13, Jesus is actually talking to his disciples. In John 13, 18, this is what he says. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. So Jesus there is telling them right out, like, I know one of you is going to betray me. It's in the scriptures. This was part of the deal. Which means that God already knew and prophesied this was going to happen, which is what Peter is quoting here in verse 20. He's quoting Psalm 69, 25. So what do we, what do we make of all this? The, the, if, if they knew and Judas did it, was it his fault? Was it God? Like, here's what we see in this. Judas' betrayal and prophecy of it shows us that God is in control no matter what. Even when it looks like the circumstances are out of control and it's all sideways and it's blowing up and we don't know what to do with it, God knows exactly what he's doing. And he is in control. And we can trust him. See, as we get into God's words, we get into scripture, scripture reveals God's sovereignty over my waiting and his mission. God's word shows me that no matter what's going on in my life, no matter what seems like out of control to me, God has his hand perfectly on that. And I can trust him in that. So Peter says, Judas betrayed Jesus. It was prophesied. And then he goes to a second prophecy or a second word from the Old Testament, from Psalms. It says, let another take his office. In other words, he had a share in the ministry. He was one of the 12. So somebody needs to fill his spot. Okay? Why? So there were 12 disciples, or what we're going to call apostles from here on out in the book of Acts. And in Luke twenty-two thirty, this is what Jesus says to them. Jesus told the 12, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So what Jesus is saying is that in the new kingdom, in the new covenant, the disciples, the apostles, were going to be the 12 guys who were now in leadership. They were going to be the ones kind of leading out. They're going to be on the thrones. And so there's 12 thrones and right now, there's only 11 guys. So we got a vacancy that needs to be filled. And so Peter says the solution is, the scripture says the solution is, fill it. Choose somebody else to take his position who meets the qualifications of an, of an apostle. Someone who can be a witness, who was with Jesus, walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus, saw the crucifixion, saw the resurrection, and can be a witness to all that happened. I think there's a great point here of illustration for us in the waiting. When we're in the waiting, double down on whatever is clear from God's word. They didn't know what else to do yet, but Peter's like, I know this one thing, so let's just do that, right? Like, like sometimes we're always looking for something new, a new thing from the Lord when the way, like, what's next? And we want, but if, we, if we're not getting that, just double down on what he's already told you to do, what you know is true, and stay faithful to that. Scripture reveals how I should prepare for the future of God's mission. God's word teaches me how to get ready. When I'm, when I'm in the waiting, if I'm using God's word, it's going to prepare my heart. It's going to prepare my mind for whatever he has coming next, even if I don't know what it is. Because I'm staying rooted in his word. Let me give you an example. 
when Courtney and I were first uh, first started trying to have kids, uh, we were having some problems getting pregnant. Um, it was you know months and months and months and months. And some of you know what this is like. You've probably some I know you've been through this as well. So we're waiting and we're waiting and, and, it, and it feels like this is never going to happen. And you just you desperately want to start a family and everyone around you is so effortlessly doing it. And they're just like something didn't even mean to and it happened. And like, what's going on? Like, where, where are you at in our thing? Why aren't you with us right now? And the truth is God's making you wait. He was making us wait. So we were waiting. We're waiting after several rounds of tests and procedures and everything. We finally get pregnant. And we were so excited, and our friends were excited, and our family were excited, and like, it finally happened. And then just a couple weeks or months later, Courtney had our first miscarriage, and we lost the baby. And it's, if you've been through, I know some of you have been through that as well, and if you've been through miscarriage, it's, it's painful to lose a child. But for us, it was painful to lose a child and then to go back into a season of waiting. Then we're, it's not over yet. We're still waiting, and we're still waiting. And we're, like, God, where are you in this? Like, this is a good thing. It's not like we're, like, trying to, to do something evil here. Like, this is what you've called us to. Like, why aren't you blessing this? Why aren't you doing this? You know, why, why won't you answer this prayer for us? And then out of the blue, before she even really knew what was going on, Courtney's mom contacted her and said, hey, God kind of spoke this scripture to me today, and I, I think it might be for you. And she gave us Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. It says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, we rejoiced in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, character produces hope. And hope does not put to shame, because God love is, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For us, in that season of hurt, in that season of waiting, God spoke a beautiful word into our lives straight from the Scriptures. You're mine. I'm with you. Don't give up. I'm using all of this for my glory. I'm going to grow you in endurance and in character and hope. And from that day forward, man, we just soaked in that verse. We stood on that verse. We prayed that verse over and over again. This is why our oldest daughter, her name is Eliana Hope, which literally means God's promise of hope. She's named after this verse because this is what we held on to in that season of waiting was a, was God's word in our life. She was his next move in our lives. We didn't know it yet, and he was using the waiting to build character and hope in us. And he'll do the same thing in your life. If you're in a season of waiting right now, he wants to grow you in this, but he ha you have to go to the word. This is where it starts. When you don't know what to do, pray what God has already promised he will do. When we're in that waiting and we don't know what's next and we don't know the next step, go to his word and find the promises of the Lord and just pray those back to him. And let him work in your heart as you lean into that.
posture of interdependent prayer brings unity. Posture of scripture dependent prayer brings clarity in the weighty. And then lastly, look at verse 23. And they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice, and Matthias, and they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. All right, point number three is this. A posture of spirit-dependent prayer brings humility. Posture of spirit-dependent prayer brings humility. So they get this word from Scripture. Say, all right, we got two guys who meet the qualifications, Justice and Matthias. And notice here, they didn't presume to choose one. They didn't say, well, you know, Matthias has been around longer or Justice has, you know, better, brings better desserts to the get-togethers. Like, they don't, like, make a decision. Like, they just put it before the Lord. No, this isn't our choice. This is God's choice. So they put two men forward, and then what do they do again? They pray. They pray together, they pray in line with Scripture, and they pray dependent on the Lord, on the Spirit. And this is their prayer. Lord, you know the hearts of these men. In the Greek there, I love this, it actually means, Lord, you're the heart knower. Like that would be a more literal translation right there. Lord, you're the heart knower. How true is that? Jesus knows your heart better than anybody else, including you. How often do we fool ourselves into thinking it's one thing when it's actually something else? Jesus knows you perfectly. He knows your heart. And he knows that your heart is just like my heart, just like every other heart in here, that it is full of sin and it is broken and it cannot get you to where you want to go. And we've tried to fix it, haven't we? We've tried solution after solution and relationships and, and, and substances and money. And we've tried all this stuff to try to fix the brokenness in our hearts. And nothing works. So God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take care of that. And he sent his son, Jesus, to come and live a perfect and sinless life. And then to go to the cross and die a sinner's death. To die in my place in your place as a substitute. He took our guilt, he took our shame, he took our punishment on himself, and he paid for all of it. And then as we sang earlier, he went into the grave and three days later he rose back to life to show that he was God, to show that he was who he said he was and that he can offer you healing for your broken, sinful heart. That if you'll come to him and you'll repent and you'll cry out to the Lord, he will cleanse you And he'll give you a whole brand new heart that can follow him and be part of his family. He's the heart knower. And he knew the hearts of these two men. So they say, God, only you know. We can't choose. Only you show us who you want it to be. Who do you want to be an apostle, to be a part of the apostleship? You see that word there? Look at that word in verse 25 to take his place in the ministry and apostleship. That's a really important word for the book of Acts, right? This is basically, apostle is another name, another title for the 12 disciples. But Luke is going to use it almost exclusively for these 12 guys from here on out in the book of Acts. 
Nobody else is really called an apostle. There's like one exception, but everything else, these 12 guys are the apostles, okay? Which means that they saw Jesus, they knew Jesus, and they are firsthand witnesses to the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where we stand, is on the shoulders of these men. So they said, who do you want, Lord, to be the 12th apostle? And then after they get done praying, it says they cast lots. Did you cast lots this week at all? I didn't cast any lots this week. We don't really do this anymore. Right? But in the Old Testament, this was the way that they heard from God. Right? They would take the names, put them on rocks or something, they put them in a bag, shake it up, and then throw one out or pull one out or whatever. Like they, would, they would let some process that to us looks like chance be how God spoke to them. So how do we know it wasn't just chance? Well, in Proverbs 16.33, it says this, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. This was God's ordained way to speak to his people before the Holy Spirit comes. But what's really cool is, this is the very last place in scripture that we see them ever cast lots. Because right after this, guess who's coming? Right? Holy Spirit's going to show up, and now today, you and I as believers, since we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we don't have to cast lots anymore. We pray, and the Holy Spirit speaks God's voice into our hearts. But there's a, there's a couple important principles here. Number one, this brings up a really important question for interpreting Acts. Is the book of Acts prescriptive or descriptive? What that means is, does it prescribe to us, does it tell us this is how you're supposed to live? In other words, every time we have a big decision, are we supposed to cast lots? Or is this descriptive, meaning it just describes what they did, doesn't necessarily tell us that we have to do it that way? The answer is, Acts is both. There are portions that are prescriptive, there are portions that are descriptive. Are we still supposed to cast lots? No, because now we have the Holy Spirit. Are we still supposed to pray to God in humility and let him speak to us? Absolutely. That's the emphasis here. It's not the casting of the lots. It's that God was speaking to his people because they, in humility, came and prayed and submitted themselves to the will of the Lord. So I was thinking about this this week. Does anybody remember these? You guys remember these? Anybody play with these when you were a kid? The Magic 8 Ball, right? Like, it's kind of like you ask a question and then you pull it up and you're like, oh, yeah, okay. And so, like, can you imagine making major life decisions with the Magic 8 Ball? Right, like, what, what career should I choose? Uh, cannot tell you at this time. That's not super helpful, right? Like, um, should I marry her? Um, I won't answer that one. Okay, um, should we eat bacon included in every meal? Yes, definitely. Yes, see, like, this is, that's what I'm talking about. But some of you are like, what's the problem? I did that last week. Um, we don't use Magic 8 Balls to make major decisions today. We don't cast lots to make major decisions today because we have the Holy Spirit. We pray and we hear God's voice. But here's the issue. I think many of us still miss God's voice because we pray to him like he's a Magic 8 Ball. What I mean by that is this. Usually when you used to play with this, you would ask it the question. You'd shake it up, ask it the question. If you didn't get the answer you wanted the first time, what did you do? You shake it up again and you ask the question again. You keep going until you get, you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes that's how we pray to God. 
We pray to God, he answers us, but he doesn't answer the way we want him to answer. So we think if I just keep praying, if I, if I don't listen, if I just keep praying and keep asking, eventually he'll change his mind and I'll get what I want. I'm not getting any amens, but I'm seeing a lot of smiles. So I think y'all are with me, okay? The key to the whole thing, whether you're casting lots, whether you're praying to the Holy Spirit, is that when God answers, that we obey what he says. We have to respond as the people did here. The 120 prayed, they listened, and then they obeyed the Lord. And when the lot said Matthias, when God said Matthias, guess who got the spot? Matthias did. There was an obedience to his voice because they were humbling themselves before the Lord. Judas's vacancy was filled by Matthias. Jesus's vacancy is getting ready to be filled by the Holy Spirit. And then it's game on. And that's what we're heading to. But before we can get there, we have to devote ourselves to humble prayer. Prayer in my waiting brings humility to trust that God knows best. Prayer in my waiting brings humility to trust that even when I can't see it, even when I don't understand it, even when the circumstances don't make any sense, God knows best. And we can trust him. In the waiting, a posture of prayer prepares me for God's next move. That's where we have to get to. Interdependent prayer, scripture-dependent prayer, and spirit-dependent prayer. So let me just ask you today, what are you waiting on right now with God? What's going on in your life that has you in a season of waiting? Maybe it's not like a big thing. Maybe it's a small thing. Maybe it is a big thing. Maybe it's something with your family, your career, your finances. Maybe it's something with your health. Maybe with your spiritual development, right? Your discipleship or your ministry opportunities. Like what does the Lord have you waiting on right now? And more importantly, are you praying in the waiting? Are you on your knees before the Lord in a posture of prayer? Are you praying with others? Are you in your small group and are you sharing it with others that can pray with you? Are you praying based on his word? Are you submitted to the spirit and are gonna do whatever he answers you when you're praying? Listen, friends. Don't waste your waiting. God wants to use this to prepare you for the next thing in your life. I don't know what that is. The Lord knows. And right now he's working on you and he's refining you and he's growing you and he's preparing you for the next big move in your life. But if you're gonna be there with him, if you're gonna catch it, if you're gonna be in step with the Lord, you have to be in a posture of prayer. This is how he works. So right now we're going to pray. We're going to respond to the Lord and ask him to set our hearts on him and to be, to be focused on the Lord as we wait on him for the next thing. Let's stand together as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, so much for your word today. Thank you, God, that your truth 
Lord, that it speaks so plainly, so clearly to us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for calling us to yourself and saving us from our sin, Lord Jesus. Lord, we know, we recognize today that you are sovereign and perfect and that you know all things. And so we trust you. We trust you today. Even in our waiting, we trust you. Lord, help us to turn to you, to get on our knees, to turn to you when you make us wait. Help us, Lord, right now, right here, Lord, set our hearts on you alone so that we're prepared for what you want to do with us next. Father, we love you. Thank you for your grace and your direction and your provision in our lives. We pray all of this in Christ's name.